Anybody know what I'm talking about? The ups and the downs, and that's why Paul wrote, he said, we can, we can rejoice in this, that, in, that, that God works all things together for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. And that's a part of walking in the power of God and walking in the authority that we have as believers is to really say that God is working all things together for good, even when it doesn't feel like good things. And that we can just rest in who He is. And that's where we've been last week. We're going to go there um, today. But asking, what is God saying? What is He speaking and encouraging us in His Word? Last week, what we did, and I've been, I've been doing this, we'll probably do this again next week, but kind of paralleling two passages, one from the Old, one from the, from the New Testament, that kind of tie together in developing a new perspective for us. Last week, I talked a little bit about Numbers 13 and then Ephesians uh, one, we're going to actually be back in Ephesians 1 again, but in Numbers 13, it was the story of the spies that were sent to the promised land. You guys know the story, and if you were here last week, you really should ho- hopefully you know the story. But these 12 spies are sent into the promised land. It was the land that God had said, this is yours, this has been promised to you. And they go in there, and they come back with a port, re, the report. They all, all 12 see the same things. It's, it's a good land. It's exactly what God promised. It's a land flowing with milk and honey is the description. You know, great. They even brought a sample of grapes back and said, look at the produce from this place. It's wonderful. However, there's giants in the land. There's enemies there. There's no way we could beat them. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. That's 10 of, 10 of the guys gave that report. And Caleb butts in, he says, wait a second, don't listen to them, we can do this. We can take this land. Because he had the perspective of God and they had the perspective of the enemy. Isn't it very easy? And if you're like me, when you're going through things and uh, you're going through a trial or a season in your life where it seems like the enemy has the upper hand, he doesn't. And sometimes we can get fixed on and our eyes on what the enemy's doing instead of how big God is. And so it was developing a new perspective. Caleb had the perspective. Caleb saw the same things the other ten saw, yet he saw with God's eyes. Yes, the enemy is big, but have you seen the size of God? And then in Ephesians um, 1, we we were uh, talking about in 17 through 23 about keys to developing a, a new perspective. And Paul is praying. He said, I constantly pray for this. Wisdom and revelation to know God better. These were just some keys from last week. Knowing him is the key, not getting from him. And he said, I pray that the eyes in the hearts of our, would be, uh, eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to know the hope which he's called us. To know where and what our hope is in. That it is our hope in Jesus or is our hope in what Jesus does. And it has to be in him. And that's a way to get a new perspective. It's the eyes of our hearts enlightened to know the riches of his glory and his glorious inheritance, that we are the inheritance of God. The eyes of our heart enlightened to know his incomparably great power. And we spent time on what the power of God is and the power and the authority that we can walk in as believers. And we, we hear it preached and we read about it, his power, and then it seems like we're walking in more weakness than power. But I think a lot of times is we think that the equivalent to God's power is just the answer, the escape from our current situation. That he demonstrates his power when we're sick by healing us. And that's true. But he can also demonstrate his power 
by giving you peace in the midst of despair. That's why when Paul gives us these things and it feels overwhelming, remember he says, be anxious for nothing. And you read that and we memorize that and then we think, how in the world do you be anxious for nothing? It's the power of God. Or when James says, count it all joy when you're going through trials. I don't know about you guys, but that's not a day that I put a party hat on and, and, you know, and light the cake up and say, let's, let's rejoice. But we can do that because of the power of God. Not just necessarily the escape from the trial, but, all, but, but as he walks us through the trial, that we can have joy in the midst of it. That's also the power of God. And I contrasted the two prisons where, you know, you have Peter supernaturally getting freed from prison by the angel of the Lord, walk him out, blind the guards, open the gates, get him out. And we see the power of God. But also we see Paul writing, be anxious for nothing in Philippians, where he's in prison and he has no escape. Both are demonstrations of the power of God. It gives us a new perspective of what he's doing, that he's working and trusting him. And so today we're going to look at two more parallel passages from the Old Testament and New Testament. They're up on the screen, Joshua 1, 1 through 11. <clears throat> then we'll be back in Ephesians 1. If, you're, if, you, if you want to turn to your Bibles, you can, but the Scripture will be up there. I'm going to first of all read Joshua 1, 1 through 11. And uh, we're going to uh, just kind of break this down a little bit and go to Ephesians. We'll spend the most of our time in Ephesians. But here's the, the setup. It's time to go into the promised land. So last week they spy out the land, and there's a, there's a period of time where it didn't, by the way, it didn't go well for the ten guys that brought a bad report, if, you're, if you read your Bible. It didn't go well with them. But now it's time. Joshua's the new leader of Israel. He has been Moses' right-hand man, and, uh, and, and he has been right there the whole time. Now Moses has died, and this is God's speech to Joshua to help his perspective and I want you to read with me, and, and, and as you've, heard, you've probably heard this before, but I want you to read with new eyes because if you're like me, you think of why would God need to tell him what he's getting ready to tell him. So let's go. Joshua 1, as I'm reading from the NIV. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses A, Moses, my servant, is dead. I think that that's a mouthful right there. He's not coming back. I'm not resurrecting him. He's gone. Maybe Joshua was thinking, man, God, it would be really great if Moses showed back up because I'm very nervous about being the new leader. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. I, he has to say that because, they're, again, the same enemies that they saw before when they were spying out were there. There's giants in the land. There's warriors in the land. And God is saying, <clears throat> I will give you the land. No one will be able to stand up against you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. 
Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. So I want to look at a few of these passages. And you, just, you hear this speech, this encouragement that God is giving to Joshua. And if you're like me and you have an active imagination, you have to ask yourself, why is God telling him these things? Verse 3. And he's talking about your, that you, everywhere you set your foot, that you will claim for the promises that I've given you. And it's not just a name and claim passage of wherever I put my foot, I can have. The promise uh, for us, the promise is that we have in Christ Jesus, who we are in Christ. It's our position in Christ. Them, it was an actual land. How does it relate to us? It's the promises that we have as believers. It's tying in last week that we have his peace, that we have his joy. We have his blessings upon us when we belong to him and again that doesn't mean that we can translate that into naming and claiming anything and everything we want claiming a new house and a new car i wish i could do that it's not in scriptures but we can grab hold of his peace his joy his love And if he wants to bless us, that's up to him. But sometimes he will bless people for his glory, and sometimes he will give people poverty for his glory. It's all up to him. But it's about our attitudes. But the promises that we have in Christ, we will take spiritual land as we walk with him. And you'll see this unfold as we go more into the passage. But verse 5, I love what God says. He says, I will be with you and I will never leave you nor forsake you. You need to understand that that is a promise that we have in Christ Jesus, that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And the reason why I believe that he told Joshua is, that is because is there's going to be battles ahead. And if you, if you keep reading in the history, they go in and they had to fight some battles. There's going to be enemies there. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be trials that you're going to face. Know this, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Joshua, there's going to be times where it feels like I've left you. And that's the word of the Lord to us is he says, I promise you I will never leave you nor forsake you. When you belong to Christ, that is a promise that you have in him through the power of his spirit that he is with you. And then those times where it feels like he's not there, You can claim his scripture and say, Lord, I know that you're with me even though I don't hear you. I don't feel you. Because there's going to be battles and struggles and trials ahead. There's going to be times when it feels like the enemy has the upper hand, just like the children of Israel did. But he's saying, know this, I'm here. Verses 6 and 7, he says, be strong and courageous. And he says this several times to Joshua. Why does he say it? Because I think Joshua, he's somewhat of a reluctant leader. 
You know, he was very content to be Moses' right-hand man and say, you know, let's go in together. I'll be right beside you, Moses. I'll support you. I'll cheer you on. But now he's the guy. That's why God says, my servant Moses is dead. That was an obvious thing. And it seems like, you know, God, that's pretty obvious. But I think he needed to remind Joshua, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to bring Moses back in the picture. I'm not going to bring another leader. I've called you. I've appointed you. Be strong and courageous because your circumstances are going to give you an opportunity to lean towards fear and intimidation. And so as believers, when we step out into the promises that God has for us and we step out into the place that he's called us, wherever we're at in our family, workplace, school, wherever we step, we can step with his presence. But there's going to be opportunity, folks, for you to have fear and intimidation at times. If you haven't been there, you haven't lived long enough. And he says, be strong and courageous. Be very strong and courageous. He's telling him over and over. He said, there's going to be times. I'm telling you right now through, through this passage, you're going to want to lean towards fear and intimidation at times. Be strong and courageous. Then he gives him this key. He says, Do not turn to the right or the left, but keep your eyes, keep your heart on the Word of God. And I think of Hebrews 12. You know, when Paul is writing, he says, says, we must keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Keep your eyes on Him. Don't look to the left or the right. Don't look at the circumstances. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It's Jesus dealing with Peter. Remember when Peter was walking out on the water? Lord, command me to come. <clears throat> okay, come on out. And then the guy's walking on water. But as we know that there's a storm going on, and what does it say? The Bible says that he began to see the wind and the waves and the storm around him, and he took his eyes off Jesus, and he began to sink. And Jesus helped him up and said, you have little faith. Why did Jesus say that? You took your eyes off of me. The step into walking in little faith is when we get our eyes off of Him because it's all about Him and our lives should be consumed with Him. And that's what he tells Joshua. And he's, he says, this, this, this book of the law, and we can say the Word of God, he says, meditate on it. Keep your eyes on it. Keep your eyes. Do not drift to the left or the right, but keep your eyes forward. Meditate on it. Verse 8. Verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Another reminder. This is why we need to remind ourselves daily that God is in control and that he will be with us wherever we go. And that's what he tells Joshua, I will be with you wherever you go. Wherever our footsteps that we can take that land and make an impact for him and for the glory of his name and for the kingdom of God. That we are on mission with him every day to build his kingdom even through the trials, the pain, confusion, the good times, the bad times. And then I love this. In verses 10 through 11, he says, Go around to the people and tell them, Get your supplies ready. Get your equipment ready. Because we're about to go into the promises. And what is God speaking there is, Get ready. Get the Word in you. Get your relationship with Jesus right. Get relationships with others right. And then go into the land that I've promised you. It's yours.
and that we can be a light bearer to the world and where he's placed us. And that we will take the, those steps and when, when we, even when we go through trials, we will demonstrate the power of God and, and people will see Jesus in us when we're going through the good or the bad. And they'll say, why is it that you have peace in this time? And it's because of Jesus Christ. Why is it that you can have joy? Why is it that you can have this when your life seems to be going through a kind of a period of hardship? And it's because of Jesus. Get your supplies ready. Be ready for what God wants to do in you. And I want to encourage you today, as God encouraged Joshua, be bold, be strong, and be courageous. Now, now Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to tie this in together with the, uh, the Joshua passage. It's actually before the passage last last week we were um, in kind of the the higher part of the the, the chapter there, but we're going to start in verse three. This is Paul again. He's writing this letter to the Ephesians church, and listen to what he says. He says, "Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." And I want you to hear this and read it with just new eyes, and that the eyes of our hearts would be be enlightened. He says, "Who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ." We have what we need in Him. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and His will. To, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us to the one He loves. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. I'm going to break that down a little bit, and I'm going to break it down into six ideas that help us develop a new perspective from, from this passage. First of all, and you can write these down if you want, and I pray that they're an encouragement to you. Number one is this. Before God made the world, he had a plan for you and me. And you can see Paul un, un, unveiling this truth. Before God made the world, he had a plan for you and for me. He chose you and me. We were in the heart and the mind of God in the pre-production meeting of the creation of the universe. Just meditate on that a little bit. Before God created the heavens and the earth and the universe, this passage indicates that we, the people, the ones that would be the closest to the heart of God, we were on His heart before the pre-production meeting of the creation of the universe. 
And so before the universe was unfolded, he had a plan for us. He chose us. That is a lot to gather there. That before he spoke any planet, solar systems, and we are just one of many, we're really, really, really small in the universe. And before all this expanse, all of this great, grandiose thing that he created to reveal his glory, because it's all about the glory of God, he was thinking about you and me, and he had a plan for our lives. Because before he made the world, he had a plan for us. We've been in this process of, of adopting a little boy, as you guys know, and uh, God has been teaching us a lot through this process. Um, if you've ever gone through it or experienced it, or you, you, you will probably resonate with this, but in Scripture, Paul mentions several times, and it's mentioned in Mark, that we have been given as, as the people of God, it says that, that, that I've given you the spirit of adoption, and, and Paul says this right here, that we've been predestined by God's grace to be called sons and daughters of God through adoption. Romans 8 says, you know, I, I, I haven't called you as fearful slaves, but I've adopted you giving you the spirit of adoption. And so we've been, we've been learning quite a bit even about God's own heart for ourselves through this process. You know, last September we began this journey. And you're in this pursuit of a child that you don't even know. And some of you guys, you know, you, you understand what I'm talking about, you know, even when you have your own kids, you're falling in love with this child before they're even here. And there's this love and this bond and this kind of attachment that you're feeling and, and you can't even describe it. And then when they show up, it's like this overwhelming love for them. And this little boy that's in China, he's in an orphanage, we've been in pursuit of him and he doesn't even know us yet. And we, we begin to fall in love with this little guy. We don't even know his personality yet. They've told us a little bit about him from the orphanage, but we don't have a lot of information. They say he's a little bit strong-willed and obstinate. Yes. We're going to turn that and make it stubborn for God. But it's interesting because being in pursuit of him, and we get pictures, I showed you guys a picture, but you get pictures and, you, and, you, and, and you're just falling in love with this, this, this guy. We pray for him. We've been praying for him. And he really does not even know we're there. I mean, literally, he has no idea what's about to happen. He's going to be a little shell-shocked. They, they've, they've tried to give us a heads up about that, but when we first see him, he may not respond the way we want him to respond. And when you think about that, what God has been teaching us is that God is in pursuit of you and me before we even recognize that he's there. He is in pursuit of the human heart out of great love. He went to the cross to pursue us. He demonstrated his love in an effort to pursue our hearts. And even while we rejecting, we're rejecting him, he was pursuing us. Before we knew him, before we even uh, would even think that he was out there somewhere, he was pursuing us. Even before the foundation of the world, he was pursuing us and a plan for our lives. And we've been given the spirit of adoption that he chose us. He had a plan for us. 
from the foundation of the world, and he loves us before we even know him. And then when we say yes to him, there's this adoption. And then we're brought into the family of God, and we have a place with him, and we have a belonging with him. And that's what we get in Christ Jesus. So before God made the world, he had a plan for you and me. Number two is before God called me to do something special, he chose me to be something special. My prayer before this sermon this week was that, that you really believe these truths. It's what Paul was trying to, to give us and saying this is who, what we have in God. And whether you're dealing with shame or guilt and the realities of life and the past and all of the stuff that comes with that, you need to believe that God loves you deeply. Before he called me to do something special, he chose me to be something special. God wants us first to know who we are in him. And then out of that revelation, we will know what to do. See, we get that backwards. We want to know what he wants us to do. What should I do? A lot of times we're trying to do to get his favor. You know, that little boy in China didn't do anything. We didn't say, okay, you know, we're we're, going to adopt you, but you're going to have to earn it in your two-year-old self. Good luck. See what you got for us. But a lot of times we approach God and we think God is looking at us from that lens of saying, okay, you need to get your act straight and you need to begin to do before I'm going to love you. But out of the revelation of who we are in Christ, He will tell us what to do. We get so caught up in what we are to do and forget who we are. Intimacy and identity come before activity. Intimacy and identity come before activity. If you get the activity part, you will be, you'll be running around trying to figure out how to please God and you will burn yourself out. Who you are is more important than what you do. It's like marriage. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, who am I supposed to marry? And you know, where are we supposed to get married? And, and when are we supposed to get married? And instead of saying, who am I supposed to be in that marriage? What kind of a spouse am I going to be? Instead of figuring out all the stuff to do, who am I as a husband or a wife? Who we are is more important than what we do. Number three, before I can find my purpose, I must lose myself for God's purpose. Before I can find my purpose, I must lose myself for God's purpose. In verses 6, 12, and 14, Paul says something along the lines. It says, for the praise of his glory. One is for the praise of his glory and grace. At the end, for the praise of his glory. My purpose, your purpose in life, no matter what state or circumstance, trial, struggle, good, bad, or otherwise, is to bring God glory. That is what our call in life is, is to bring Him glory, to reveal Him in all that we do. This is how we take land for the kingdom. And I was going to talk about that again before. This is how we take land for the kingdom and reveal Christ to the world. Wherever I place my foot, He is there because I'm bringing Him glory. That we get up every day and say, Lord, wherever I place my foot, wherever I go, I want to bring You glory. 
Whether I'm going through a trial right now, I want to bring you glory. Whether I'm going through a victory right now, I want to bring you glory. I want to keep my eyes on you to bring you glory. I've become a Tim Tebow fan. I don't know if you guys have Tim Tebow, the quarterback for uh, now the Jets. He was quarterback for the Broncos. And this guy, he loves Jesus so much. And he has been a light for the Lord as a professional athlete. This guy has come under such scrutiny and, and, uh, and, and you know, criticism for his faith, and he just continues to take the, the right attitude and have the, uh, you know, the, the right spirit about him, even when he's criticized. And it was interesting because you would think that you know, just because it went, when he's winning that he would give God glory. This guy is giving God glory even when he loses. And there was a game last year where he, it was an away game, and he had absolutely the worst game of his, of his career. I mean, it, literally, it, it was awful. And so, you know, a lot of people keep an eye on him. Just to give you an idea, there was a, there was a magazine that was, they, they said that they would give a reward for anyone that could find out if he really wasn't a virgin. And if they had some, 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 some trash on him. And that person has not come forward yet. Because, you know, one of the things he says, I'm, I'm saving myself for marriage, and I believe God wants me to do that. I want to honor God that way. And he doesn't make a huge stance. People ask him, and he just says, this is it. But he had that horrible game. And then in the interview, he just said, you know, I'm, 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 I want to give glory and praise because, you know, it's easy to say that when you win. But he says, I want to give glory and honor and praise to Jesus in the good times or the bad times. And he left that stadium and he went to a hospital to meet with a little girl that is, uh, you know, has a disease and she's dying because he had said that he was going to be met with her family and they had just a wonderful time there. And, you know, he could have just said, I'm going to cancel that meeting. I'm going to go somewhere else. But he went there. In the interview, they said, how do you do that after a game like that? He said, because football is so small. And we need to realize that we're on this earth to accomplish something. And it's for the glory of God. And so everywhere we put, place our foot, it is for the glory of God. And we kind of, the way we find our purpose is to lose ourselves for His purpose, for the praise of His glory. And this is how we take the kingdom t into wherever we go. It's, it's what Peter says. It says, be ready to give an answer for the hope, even if it sometimes looks like defeat. I love what Matthew says. He, um, in Matthew, what Jesus says, he said, whoever loses his life for my sake, he will find it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he will find it. Our goal should be to lose and surrender our lives for the purpose and the glory of Jesus every day, no matter what. Number four, before it all fell apart, God had a plan to put it back together. Before it all fell apart, God had a plan to put it back together. You know, sin did not shock God. It did not take him off guard. It didn't, he didn't scramble around going, oh no, what am I going to do now? Before it all fell apart, God had a plan to put it back together. How that translates into our lives. Some, some of you may, might hear that your lives have fallen apart. Or parts of your lives have fallen apart. Because of past, because of sin, because of shame, because of condemnation, because of all of these 
exterior things that have happened that really have affected us, we feel like that it's all falling apart or it has fallen apart and there's no way that God could ever redeem it. That is a lie from the enemy. We can bring all the broken pieces of our lives and we can present them before the Lord and He can redeem it and He can make us new. He had a plan to put it all back together even when it fell apart and this is from the foundation of the world and then it also applies to us. And see, here's the thing is the temptation is fear and intimidation and looking at the enemy. Look what the enemy did. Look at what happened. And we get our eyes off of the redemption of God, that He is working with us no matter what. And I love that God has a plan to restore and redeem no matter what we're facing. And that's your life included. Listen to this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us from Romans. When it was all falling apart, God had a plan to put it all back together. While we were still sinners, Christ came and He died for us. Before we ever looked His way, He was looking our way. Even when we feel far from God. And then I want to take a look at, relook at verses 7 through 10 really quickly here. It says, in him we freely have given us, in, the, in him, I've got to see if I can find this, right? in him we have redemption, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Jesus gives us the forgiveness of sins because of his rich grace towards us. And he it accomplishes it, and you look in that passage, because of his good pleasure and his will, that, that for his pleasure he lavished mercy, redemption, forgiveness of sin. He gave us that because he loves us and because it was his pleasure. And I love that word lavish. That what does God do with grace? What does he do with mercy? What does he do with forgiveness? He lavishes. It's, it's, it's like more and more and more, more than you could ever handle. He lavishes His mercy and His redemption and His forgiveness upon us. And then in the end, He will bring fulfillment. And I love how it even unfolds that because in the end, He will win and He will be the head overall. That He will stand victorious and we who are belong to Him and have surrendered our lives and will stand in victory with Him. He is the head overall. No matter what... It, seems to be falling apart. In Him, we have victory because He's the head over all of it. And that will give us a new perspective. Number five, before I chose God, He chose me. This goes along with the, the one before, but it, later on He says, you, we've been chosen. Paul says, we've been chosen. Before I chose God, He chose me. In Him we are chosen. John 15, 16, Jesus says this, You didn't choose me, I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit that remains. He chose you. Anybody here ever get picked last on the uh, playground when you were a kid? You know, and they're going, okay, you, 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 you know, and, uh, these teams, and you're standing against the wall, and it feels horrible. You know, there's, uh, there's a, there was a movie or something recently, and, you know, there's a kid, like, in a cast or something, and he gets picked before the last kid. 
You know, and he's like hobbling over. And the kid, you know, there's a kid that's still sitting there. That's an awful feeling. I'm glad we do it. I'm, I'm, I, we do it a little different instead of picking. Now it's just like one, two, one, two. All the ones go over there. All the twos go over there. Everybody belongs. And sometimes we feel like that, though, with the Lord. And he's going, okay, that person, they're gifted. They, you know, they, they have great anointing. They have some certain spiritual gifts. I like them. They're good. Um, okay, you, yeah, he's a great studier of the word. And I, I like him. Okay, good. They just look spiritual. Let's bring them in. Um, and we feel like that we're up against the wall waiting for God to choose us. And he just kind of keeps overlooking, at, uh, overlooking us. And it's very real, and, we, and we, we just kind of wake up and we walk through life almost with this little shame kind of over us, and the enemy just tries to keep us in that place. We need to know today, guys, that God chose you before you chose him. That's what Jesus said. I, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to bear fruit that remains. I chose you to bear love. And joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and meekness and long-suffering and self-control. I I chose you to put that fruit in you, to put my life in you, to put my character in you. You were chosen to bear my name to the world. And that will be how we evidence him to people. 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Did you hear that? He said, this is love. And He doesn't describe, this is love, it's a feeling and emotion, you'll feel the, the chilly willies and you'll feel certain ways, that's love. No, He doesn't say that. He said, this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The demonstration of love from God. I love the the word atone there. It says to make amends for an offense or a crime. We all stand guilty before God in our sin. One sin makes us a, a lawbreaker of the whole deal. Paul says that we've all sinned and that sin deserves death. And so we all stand in a place of guilt. We don't have a chance. And then we have atonement to make amends. And so in the courtroom of heaven, you have each one of us standing before a holy God, and we are guilty. We have no defense whatsoever in ourselves. So, well, there is sin on you. Who's going to atone? And Jesus stands up for each one on planet earth who has ever been created. He says, I will, I will make amends for them. I will make amends for them. And he stands up for you and for me. And he says, I will make amends for them because of the cross. I will make amends for them. I will stand in and I will step in and I will take their punishment upon myself. And you would think that in a, that's why I'm so amazed. And I know the spirit draws people, but I'm like, why wouldn't you say yes to this grace that we've been given in Christ? Why would people reject? And I know why some people reject is because they've been hurt. They've been wounded even by church or by religion. I'm like, what an amazing deal that we get here, the grace of God. But there's a lot of people that just say, and Jesus says, I will make atonement. I will make amends for you. And we said, no, I'm going to figure out how to do it myself. And they live life trying to figure out how to do it themselves, and they'll never find it. Where we just humble ourselves and we say, thank you. I receive your sacrifice. Number six, 
Before God can give us possession of the land, we must give him our lives as his possession. In the last part of that passage, it says that, it says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with the seal of the promise, Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Is God possessive? Yes, he is. He wants all of you. He wants your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. He wants 100% of you. Because this whole thing of Christianity will never be understood if we don't unconditionally, completely surrender all that we are to him. If we hold on to an ounce of ownership in this deal, it's not going to work. And so before we can take possession, before we can walk in those promises, before we can understand his power and his authority, and before we can see from a new perspective, we have to give him possession of our lives. God's possession for his glory. Again, it's all about ownership. The question is, who owns your life? Who's in control? And a lot of times we can say, well, that's a gospel message. This is kind of for those who've never heard it before. No, I'm talking about believers too because there's a tendency that we have is to take control. And yes, if you're here today and you've never completely surrendered your life to Jesus, this call is for you, but this call is also for us. For the times we slide into a spirit of control and we take possession back and we try to control things and we need a fresh recommitment every day. I've been doing that recently of just coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, I just give you my life today. I'm not saying that I'm trying to revisit my salvation, but it's just I give you possession, I give you ownership again. Today, I need you. Thank you that you chose me. And it's who we are in Him. I'm going to kind of give you a spoiler um, of, of Athena's article in the newsletter um, I told her I was going to share it, and she gave me permission. But this, this, is, this, this story came about, and she kind of shares about the adoption, but on Memorial Day weekend, I'm going to share this in closing. Uh, Memorial Day weekend, we were in the Twin Cities. We had to do some errands, and we were at uh, a store, and we were checking out, and Athena really was paying attention to this, and she kind of nudged me, and I overheard a little bit, but it really, really uh, spoke to her, and the Lord really spoke to her. And this whole idea of who we are and the place that we have in God. This mindset of being chosen and, and, and being chosen by God and, and Him loving us and our, our, our ability to go to Him. There was a family that was, uh, they were a couple lines uh, you know, away from us and they were checking out and the dad was real busy and they were, uh, we, we noticed that they were Middle Eastern descent and um, we're not from America, and the little boy, they were you know, speaking a different language, and, uh, and the mom had him, the dad was trying to take care of everything, and, and, and the little boy just, he needs to get to his dad for some reason. He needed his dad's attention. And he begins to say, Abba, Abba. The word that we have in the Bible that says Abba, Father, it, it's, it represents a covenant word like Daddy. And that's where when Paul says, I've not given you 
a spirit to be fearful slaves, but I've given you the spirit of adoption by which you can cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, that God is intimately connected with you, not just way out there, somebody, master. He is our master, but he is our Abba, Father. And this little boy went running to his dad, Abba, Abba. And the dad stops everything that he's doing. His dad's pretty busy and kind of, and he just picks this little boy up and he gives him this attention. And of course, I wish I could say that I was sitting there watching and I was just deeply touched. I was like trying to do, and, and I heard that, but Athena, got, we got in the van and she was very quiet, very reflective, and she began to talk about that and, she, and, and of how it ministered to her that the access that we have to the Father that any moment we say, Abba, He is there. He is not too busy. He's not too busy running the universe that He hears you cry out, Abba, Father, as His child, that He says, I will take you in my arms and I will minister my love to you because you've been chosen from the foundation of the, of the world. God wants to give us a new perspective. But He wants us to respond to Him and cry out, Abba, Father, because he's listening. No matter what place you are at in life, no matter what trial, struggle, or otherwise, he is listening to you, and he hears you, and he wants to walk with you, but he wants possession of your lives. And so I, just in a new, fresh way, we're going to have a, a CD put on in the back or some music off the computer back there or whatever, and I'm just going to have a time where I'm going to invite you to respond to him. Yeah. Thank you, Doug. Yeah, go ahead. That's right.
just going to have the lights come down and, and just have to respond to the Lord and, and however you want me to respond to the Lord, whatever God is speaking. You know, I have leaders come up and pray for you and leaders, if you can come up, leaders and their wives, just come on up. And if you need prayer for anything, I encourage you to just respond to the Lord. And, uh, and we would be honored and privileged to, to just join with you and pray for you. And if you need to go, God bless you. Uh, be blessed today. We're not going to do a formal dismissal. So uh, yeah, just God bless you. Have a great day.